What was it like when Alexander wept, seeing he had no more worlds to conquer? What went on in the Duke of Wellington's tent as he ordered the final charge which stopped Napoleon? Was Cleopatra really as attractive as they say that day she met Julius Caesar? Of course, we can read all about these historical events on the pages of many books or see their reenactments through film, but we can't actually experience them firsthand. We can't see and hear the vivid details for ourselves without the fog of historical translation. Or can we? Deep within the hidden halls and chambers of the Vatican, some believe there lies a device that allows exactly that, a way to view the past firsthand. Just a conspiracy theory? Perhaps. Yet modern science is beginning to explore unconventional ways the past can be recorded and viewed, moving beyond the confines of time and space as they do. And what they are finding is astonishing. Could the ability to view the past for ourselves be a technological possibility sometime in the near future? Or perhaps it is already a possibility, one known about not only by the Vatican, but by some of the greatest thinkers of our time. Before we continue, we'd like to thank ExpressVPN for sponsoring this video. ExpressVPN is the number one VPN provider on the market, providing the best security and top-notch internet speed. Oftentimes when we do the research for our videos, we browse into many websites containing declassified documents and sensitive information, but we always use ExpressVPN to stay anonymous. We know that using incognito mode or clearing your internet history can't prevent others from prying into your online activity as your internet service provider can always see what you're doing and what you're researching. No matter who your internet service provider is, they're all legally allowed to sell your data to ad companies for excessive prices. Thanks to ExpressVPN, you can block your internet provider from seeing what you're doing. By encrypting your data and rerouting your internet connection through a secure server, making you much more difficult to trace. Don't allow your personal information to be stolen and learn how to get three months free of the best VPN provider on the market. Visit expressvpn.com forward slash universe inside you. We saw everything. The agony in the garden, the betrayal of Judas, the trial, crucifixion. These were the shocking words of Father Pellegrino Arnetti, as recounted in the 2000 book, Le Nouveau Mystère du Vatican, The Vatican's New Mystery, written by Arnetti's friend and colleague, Father Francois Brunner. It was the early 1960s, and the two men were sailing along the Grand Canal in Venice, Italy, discussing various biblical interpretations, when abruptly, Arnetti proclaimed that interpretations were unnecessary since it was possible to see for oneself what had actually happened. But how? Bruna asked, skeptical. Ernetti explained that deep within the Vatican was a device that allowed its user to see and hear events from the past, not a time machine that sent a person back in time, but rather a sort of time viewer, which brought the past into the present a device which could tune into specific events of the past and display them on a screen like some sort of time-traveling television. 
It was called the Chronovisor, Ernetti declared, and with it he had seen not only the last days of the life of Jesus, the agony, the betrayal, the trial, crucifixion, but the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the creation of the Ten Commandments, and other biblical moments, as well as notable historical events, like a speech by famed Roman Senator Marcus Tullius Cicero, a performance of the lost tragedy, the Estes, and even events from the life of Napoleon. It must be said, Pellegrino Ornetti was not an eccentric man by nature. He was a Benedictine monk, a scientist, an author, a musicologist, and the chair of pre-polyphony at the prestigious Benedetto Marcello Conservatory of Music in Venice. In other words, he was not the type of man prone to telling fantastical stories. Brune knew this, and thus he immediately began to question Ernetti about the mysterious chronovisor. Ernetti revealed that the idea had come to him many years earlier while working on a project with his colleague, Father Agostino Gemelli, at the Catholic University of Milan. While attempting to filter harmonics out of old Georgian chants, they had seemingly heard the voice of Gemelli's dead father speaking through the recorder. Intrigued, if not stunned, Ernetti began to wonder what did happen to the sounds that people made after they ostensibly disappeared. Could it really be that voices from the past were being recorded somehow? To answer his question, Ernetti brought together a team of scientists who began to work immediately. The end result, according to Ernetti, was the chronovisor. Curiously, Ernetti would not reveal the members of his team, though surely Brunner was eager to know. And in fact, the identities of the scientists have remained secret to this day, but for two noteworthy names. Enrico Fermi, one of the designers of the first atomic bomb, and Werner von Braun, the German rocket scientist and father of the Cold War space race. Had these historical scientists, at the direction of Pellegrino Ernetti, really created a way to view the past? In 1972, an Italian magazine called La Domenica del Corriere published an article which led with the headline, A machine that photographs the past has finally been invented. The article included Ernetti's account of the chronovisor alongside, most astonishingly, a photograph of the face of Jesus at the moment of crucifixion, which Ernetti had purportedly taken using the device, proof, the article asserted, of the chronovisor's existence and function. Despite the incredible nature of Ernetti's proclamations, in the years that followed, the story mostly faded from view, never confirmed, but equally never fully invalidated. For his part, Ernetti said late in his life that the chronovisor had eventually been dismantled to prevent it from ever falling into the wrong hands, which Ernetti believed could create the scariest dictatorship the world has ever seen. There are those, however, who believe that somewhere deep inside the Vatican, the chronovisor remains to this day hidden, intact, functional. Could the chronovisor really still exist? Has it ever existed? Or is it all just a hoax? Curiously, in 1988, the Vatican itself issued an official decree on the chronovisor in which it warned that anyone using an instrument of such characteristics would be excommunicated. Why would the Vatican feel the need to publicly comment on the chronovisor if it was nothing but a hoax? And moreover, 
Why would they not deny its existence, but rather instruct their followers not to use it? For answers, we might start in the realm of science. The idea of a device able to view events from the past perhaps seems preposterous at first, except we actually use crude versions of chronovisors every day. A mirror, for one, is a sort of chronovisor. You don't actually see your reflection in real time, but rather you see yourself a few millionths of a second before. The time it takes the light to travel from a person's face to the mirror and then reflect back to their eyes. Looking in a mirror is, in effect, viewing the past. A telescope is another type of chronovisor. The distant galaxies a telescope views are not being viewed as they are now, but millions or billions of years ago when the light left them. Of course, the chronovisor of Ernetti was much more complex than that. While the effects of a mirror or telescope are based on distance, Ernetti's chronovisor could tune to specific times and places in the past as easily as one could change the channel on their television. To conceptualize this, perhaps what is needed is a re-examination of what is meant by time and space. Ernetti explained that his chronovisor worked by detecting images and sounds that had been created which were floating in space. This assertion is based on the principle that every light particle has its own unique timestamp, which exists externally. That is, each has its own unique key, which relates to a specific point in time. In theory, by grouping, sorting, and filtering light particles according to a certain time period, it would be possible to view that time period to, as Ernetti said, detect the images and sounds floating in space. Of course, just because science can theorize its existence doesn't mean the chronovisor exists or existed. Perhaps gathering time-stamped light particles and arranging them into images is beyond the scope of mainstream modern science. However, it is mainstream science now proclaiming that, if not images, Ancient sounds may actually be preserved in the environment, waiting to be unlocked and listened to. In 2006, an unbelievable story began making its way through mainstream media. Apparently, a team of Belgian scientists had, according to reports, been able to use computer scans of the grooves in 6,500-year-old pottery to extract sounds, including talking and laughter made by the vibrations of the tools used to make the pottery. Could this really be true? And if so, what else then might scientists find hidden in artifacts created over the many thousands of years humans have made pottery? There exists an entire scientific discipline built around the belief that sounds may have been recorded by natural means in ways we do not yet fully understand. It is called paleoacoustics, and indeed, the mysteries of clay pottery form a part of its foundation. Consider a clay pot being spun on a potter's wheel, a pattern etched into it with a stylus that decorates its design. Compare this to the creation of early phonographs, where a needle would etch a pattern into the surface of a tin or wax cylinder. 
How phonographs worked was that the needle would pick up sound waves and engrave the vibrations on the cylinder. When a needle passed through the grooves a second time, the effect would reverse itself. Sound waves traveling not from the needle to the surface, but from the surface to the needle, playing back the recorded sound. According to the theories of paleoacoustics, a clay pot would work much in the same way, with the pot acting as the recording medium and the stylus as the needle. In theory, sound vibrations moving through the stylus would be etched in the grooves of the pot, just waiting to be played back like a phonograph. This was an idea elucidated in the 1960s by Richard G. Woodbridge and David Jones, two of the early modern practitioners of paleoacoustics. As Jones described, a trowel, like any flat plate, must vibrate in response to sound. Thus, drawn over the wet surface by the singing plasterer, it must emboss a gramophone-type recording of his song in the plaster. Once the surface is dry, it may be played back. But in fact, paleoacoustics has been around for much longer than that, since the theory that some sort of immemorial record exists in the environment just waiting to be unlocked was first postulated in the 19th century by Charles Babbage, who, incidentally, was also the first to propose the concept of a programmable computer. As he eloquently illuminated in his seminal presentation on the permanent impression of our words and actions on the globe we inhabit, the pulsations of the air, once set in motion by the human voice, cease not to exist with the sounds to which they gave rise strong and audible as they may be in the immediate neighborhood of the speaker, and at the immediate moment of utterance, their quickly attenuated force soon becomes inaudible to human ears. The motions they have impressed on the particles of one portion of our atmosphere are communicated to constantly increasing numbers, but the total quantity of motion measured in the same direction receives no addition. Each atom loses as much as it gives and regains again from other atoms a portion of those motions in which they in turn give up. The waves of air thus raised perambulate the earth and ocean surface, and in less than 20 hours, every atom of its atmosphere takes up the altered movement due to that infinitesimal portion of the primitive motion which has been conveyed to it through countless channels and which must continue to influence its path throughout its future existence. There, in their mutable but unerring characters, mixed with the earliest as well as with the latest size of mortality, stand forever recorded, vows unredeemed, promises unfulfilled, perpetuating in the united movements of each particle, the testimony of man's changeful will. In other words, every sound ever made is out there, just floating in space. Babbage was right about the computer. Was he right about this too? As ahead of his age as Babbage was, it was not until modern times that mainstream science began attempting to put the theories of paleoacoustics into practice, to try, as it were, to successfully recover ancient sounds. Now, some scientists are examining 3,000-year-old Greek pottery, searching for sound vibrations carved into the glaze by the potter's tools. Others have recreated the song of a 165-million-year-old insect using fossil remains and a computer in what the Smithsonian called a landmark in paleoacoustics. 
Elsewhere, there is the work of Patrick Feaster, who has coined the term paleospectrophony to describe his practice of converting visual representations of sound, music, speech, and rhythm into audio. From diagrams of the singing of Russian peasants to sound spectrograms from the National Academy of Sciences and the FBI, Feaster has found a way to play mute images which recorded sound graphically in much the same way as a computer plays an MP3 file. In doing so, he has challenged ideas about what sound recordings are. Simply, every day, science learns more about the hidden history in our environment and how we might hear or view it. As it does, one might wonder if the Vatican had, in its chronovisor, a more advanced version of what mainstream science is only starting to scratch the surface of. But then, what type of technology is more advanced than mainstream modern science? Of the team of 12 scientists alleged to have been assembled by Pellegrino Arnetti to construct the Vatican's chronovisor, the names of only two have ever been released. But look closer at one of these two in particular, the infamous Werner von Braun. Von Braun was a Nazi scientist, one of the stars working on Hitler's Wunderwaffe projects. These Wunderwaffe, or miracle weapons, were said to include attempts at stealth fighters, acoustic cannons, anti-gravity technology, and perhaps even time travel. Some accounts even said scientists like von Braun were working on a way to create a window into the past. At the end of World War II, von Braun fled the losing side to the United States as part of the U.S. government's Project Paperclip, in which many high-level Nazi thinkers were quietly smuggled into the country and put to work for the U.S. government. There, von Braun became an esteemed NASA scientist, the father of U.S. rocketry, and a key player in the space race. Is it possible that another project he continued to work on while in the United States was a window into the past? If it was, then von Braun would not have been the only employee of the U.S. government working on such a thing. Concealed within the archives on the website of the CIA, there exists an exceedingly strange document. It describes an experiment the CIA conducted in 1984, providing a seemingly unedited transcript which descends into the bizarre. First, according to the transcript, the subject of the experiment is given a sealed envelope and instructed not to open it. Whomever is conducting the experiment then begins to give the subject instructions, directing him to investigate different random coordinates while providing no other information as to what these coordinates mean. As they do, the subject describes the incredible things he sees an obelisk like the Washington Monument, rounded bottom-carved channels like roadbeds, a series of pyramids. Inside these pyramids, the subject describes coming across what he calls an ancient people. They're dying. It's past their time or age, he exclaims. As the experiment draws to an end, the subject is instructed to open the envelope he was given at the beginning. Inside, Written on a 3x5-inch card is the following. The planet Mars. Time of interest, approximately 1 million years B.C. Titled Mars Exploration, May 22, 1984, it appears the document recounts an actual attempt by the CIA to use what is called astral projection in order to visit the planet Mars 
one million years in the past. What the subject had been describing then were the vestiges of an ancient Martian civilization. We even have a video of the now found remnants of pyramids and obelisks on Mars, just as the subject described in 1984, together with a mysterious face resembling the face of the Great Sphinx. The link to the video will be in the comments below. It may sound bizarre, but for the CIA, it was decidedly not. In fact, the experiment was part of what was known as Project Stargate, an operation in which the CIA tested the possibility of all types of paranormal powers. Publicly available documents reveal the project's focus on psychoenergetics, defined as the mental processes by which the individual perceives, communicates with, and or perturbs characteristics of a designed target, person, or event remote in space and or time from that individual. Most specifically, Project Stargate was interested in remote viewing, that is, using the mind alone to see things which aren't immediately present, whether they be in the present time, the past, or even the future. Bizarre as they may be, there is no doubt the CIA was looking hard at these things. The only question is, how far did they get? It all started with a man named Andrew Basciago, a Seattle attorney who came forward in the mid-2000s with the claim that he had been a part of a secret U.S. government operation known as Project Pegasus. According to Basciago, he had been recruited as a child into the project, which was experimenting with highly advanced technologies like teleportation and holographic time travel, sending children like him to different planets and times in history. As for his own experiences, Basciago described watching Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and being in attendance at Ford's Theater the night of his assassination. He had visited, he said, George Washington's battlefield tent during the Revolutionary War and even gone back to see Jesus. One might note the similarity of these claims to Ernetti's description of his use of the chronovisor. Were Basciago and Ernetti's accounts similar because they were using the same fundamental technology? Could Project Pegasus merely represent the next generation of the Chronovisor project? From Werner von Braun and his Wunderwaffe, to the Vatican, to the CIA, and beyond? Perhaps we will never know the answers. Or perhaps modern science will tell us soon enough. Thank you for watching. If you enjoyed the video, please hit the like button. And if you're new, hit subscribe and the bell next to it for future notifications.